Hello, this is Louis Gang. Do you love my voice? Do you want my voice in your podcast or YouTube episodes? I can do the perfect voiceover for your brand or company too. It can be for either a podcast, YouTube channel or for your own personal use. Don't worry it's very cheap and affordable. Email me at info.louigang254 at gmail.com or visit fiverr.com slash louigang and make your first order, the link is on the description. I'm looking forward to working and connecting with you. What is up, Iwu crew? Recently, more cold cases than ever are being solved. But sometimes, the long-awaited conclusion of these cases can take surprising and bewildering turns. Today, we are taking a deep dive into three solved cold cases that have shocking and unexpected twists. Today's first case is rather unusual and begins with a mystery that seems so strange it could be straight out of a movie. But first, we must set the stage. Likely born in 1937, Dorian Corey was a drag performer and renowned dressmaker who graduated from Parsons School of Design. During the 1960s to 90s, Dorian created a name for herself in the Harlem drag ball scene. Dorian had a difficult life struggling with acceptance while living in near poverty. But after years as a veteran drag queen, Dorian began mentoring younger performers and offering her support to her drag family through what she called the House of Cory, a haven where all were accepted and cared for. Dorian eventually appeared in the 1990 documentary titled Paris is Burning where she spoke about the Harlem drag scene and appeared in interviews as a witty and unflappable character. In the film, Dorian remarks, Everybody wants to make an impression, some mark upon the world. Then you think you've made a mark on the world if you just get through it, and a few people remember your name. Little did Dorian know, her name would be remembered but likely not in any way she expected. Tragically, in August of 1993, Dorian passed away from complications due to AIDS at the age of 56. Her friend, Lois Taylor, had taken care of Dorian during her final days. But Lois had no idea that her close friend and pillar in the drag community was hiding a dark and disturbing secret. Despite being dead, Dorian's story was about to take a shocking twist. In October 1993, Lois and two friends went in search of the perfect Halloween costume. As Lois had been planning on selling some of Dorian's famed clothing from her years of performances, the extensive wardrobe in Dorian's Harlem apartment seemed to be the perfect place to look for costumes. Hunting through Dorian's closet, they found countless feathers and sequins, but also something hidden behind the racks of clothes. Within, Lois discovered a green and plaid garment bag folded and abandoned on the floor. Intrigued by what could be hidden within, she tried to pull the garment bag from the closet, but found that her 135 pounds couldn't lift whatever was within the bag. Undeterred, 
Lois sought out scissors and began to cut into the material. It isn't clear what Lois thought she would find, but when a foul-smelling puff of air escaped from the garment bag, she deserted her efforts to see what was within and called the police. Investigators collected the heavy and stinking garment bag and slowly peeled back multiple layers. Below the zipper were wrapped layers of a faux leather, which, when cut away, revealed another layer of plastic. Tucked into the layers were pull tabs from the tops of beer cans that had been used in the 1960s and 70s. When it was all finally cut away, police were met with a gruesome sight. A mummified corpse. The mummified body was curled into the fetal position, wearing only the tattered remains of blue and white boxer shorts. The skin of the corpse had turned splotchy purple and yellow, the ears completely disintegrated, and there was a hole in the head from a bullet. Residue on the corpse indicated that it had been covered in baking soda, likely to help disguise the smell of the putrefying body before being wrapped within layers and then shoved into the garment bag. The body appeared to have been hidden in the recesses of Dorian's closet for a couple decades, at least 15 years, but likely over 20. Even though the corpse was decomposed beyond recognition, the layers of plastic and faux leather had actually managed to preserve the body's fingerprints. Luckily for investigators, the victim had an extensive criminal record, and they soon had a name for the mummy in the drag queen's closet, Robert Bobby Worley. Bobby had been born in December of 1938. Not much is known about Bobby's life, except for his crimes, including his arrest in 1963 for assault which he served three years in prison for. Soon after his release, his family lost contact with him and hadn't heard from him at all since the late 1960s. Because of his past, they weren't even sure that he was missing, but he seemed to have vanished into thin air. Any investigation into Bobby's whereabouts went cold. By all accounts, there was no plausible reason for Dorian and Bobby to have known each other, never mind a way to logically explain how Bobby ended up dead and mummified in the closet of a stalwart drag performer. Though the evidence appeared that it was likely that Dorian had been the one to kill Bobby, as she presumably lived with his body in her closet for decades, no one around the drag performer would have thought she was capable of such a heinous crime. Theories about what happened between the two swirled, and some who knew Dorian claimed that she couldn't have been the one to kill him, but was actually protecting the real killer. This theory includes the fact that Dorian moved apartments in 1988, during the period when Bobby's body would have already been mummified. Rather than lugging a corpse undetected between apartments, this theory maintains that Dorian moved into an apartment where the body already was, and rather than call the police, she kept it a secret. Another theory, one that is more believable but still purely speculation, is that Bobby may have attempted to rob Dorian, and she could have ended up killing him in self-defense during the ensuing struggle. 
Allegedly, Dorian had attached a note to the body, saying that this poor man broke into my home and was trying to rob me. But the existence of this note was never verified. However, there is one detail of Bobby's body that may be the hint to the true nature of how Bobby and Dorian knew each other. His body was found wearing only boxer shorts, and the way that he was shoved into the garment bag led investigators to believe that he hadn't been wearing other clothing at the time of his death, ruling out the chance that he had tried to rob Dorian in only his underwear Investigators came to the conclusion that the two could have been in a tumultuous relationship, one that purportedly ended in a crime of passion and Bobby being shot. There is other evidence towards this theory, such as Dorian's semi-autobiographical story about a transgender woman who killed her lover, which was possibly written about her and Bobby. As well, before he vanished, Bobby had reportedly called his brother while drunk and complained about a fight with someone named Dorian. Though we may never know exactly what could have motivated Dorian to allegedly kill Bobby and decide to live with his mummified corpse for decades, many theorists believe that Dorian had been the one to take Bobby's life and got away with it undetected during her lifetime. Our next case is no less tragic, but filled with even more unexpected twists. Jerry Michael Williams, who went by Mike, was born October 16, 1969, to dedicated and self-sacrificing parents. Mike's father was a Greyhound bus driver, while his mother worked at a daycare. Rather than save their money to buy a house and move their family out of the trailer where they lived, Mike's parents saved all of their money for him and his brother to attend North Florida's Christian High School in the hopes that it would help secure their successful futures. Mike excelled in school and went on to get an urban planning degree from Florida State University. He was hired as a property appraiser where he reportedly made $200,000 a year and married a woman named Denise Merrill in 1994. The two had a daughter in 1999, seeming to fulfill his parents' dreams for his prosperous future. In 2000, the couple was planning more of their future together, discussing having another child, and even looking to take a family trip on a Hawaiian cruise. However, not everything was as it seemed, and soon Mike's idyllic life came crashing down. On Saturday, December 16th, 2000, Mike woke up early to go duck hunting on Lake Seminole, a reservoir between Florida and Georgia. Mike told his wife he would be back midday so that the two could celebrate their sixth wedding anniversary later that night. However, when Mike didn't return by noon, Denise became worried and called her father. She also called Mike's best friend, Brian Winchester, a man who had initially been Denise's childhood friend before he later became close with her husband. Brian and his own father went in search for Mike, and after hours of driving around Lake Seminole, they believed they located his Ford Bronco at a remote boat launch at Jackson County. 
Mike's boat was confirmed to be found by the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, 225 feet from the boat launch. But there was no sign of Mike. In the boat, they found Mike's abandoned shotgun, but nothing that suggested foul play. It was concluded that Mike's boat must have hit a stump hidden below the water level, causing him to lose his balance and fall out of the boat and into the water. Search and rescue were deployed, but it was quickly assumed that Mike had drowned when he fell from the boat. When Mike's body never floated to the lake's surface, as is typical for drowning victims, a search was conducted to retrieve his remains from where it was believed to have been caught along the lake bed, but his body was never found. Investigators were forced to reevaluate their theory, and they concluded that Mike must have been eaten by alligators, with turtles and catfish eating whatever remains were left. Lake Seminole was known to be a site with at least 80 other deaths where the bodies were never found, and so Mike was believed to be another victim of the mysterious alligator-filled depths. During the search, Denise avoided the media, but six months after Mike vanished, she had him declared legally dead through a court petition. It was assumed that Mike's body would never be found after his unfortunate accident. After five years following her husband's tragic demise, Denise appeared to have moved on when she remarried none other than her and Mike's mutual friend, Brian Winchester. The two claimed that they had grown close after Mike's death. Despite the fact that most of Mike's loved ones had come to terms with his passing, Mike's mother, Cheryl, was unconvinced that her son had simply fallen from his boat and been eaten by alligators. Her biggest clue was the fact that Mike's hunting license had been found and bore no markings of alligator teeth. Cheryl campaigned to have her son's case reopened, and with the help of officers who agreed that Mike's death appeared suspicious, Despite the lack of evidence of foul play, his missing persons case was opened again in 2004. The alligator theory was eventually thrown out once it was realized that alligators rarely hunt during cold months. And as Mike vanished in December, they wouldn't have been active to eat his drowned remains. So where was Mike's body? Even though investigators agreed that it seemed like Mike hadn't died at Lake Seminole, they had no evidence to say what had actually happened to him. His case was closed in 2007 and declared cold. But Cheryl refused to give up. For years, she campaigned, wrote letters, and lobbied to have Mike's case once again reopened. During this same time, Denise's life was once again tumultuous as she and Brian were separating in 2012 and divorced in 2015. The year following their divorce, there was a shocking incident when Brian snuck into Denise's car and threatened her with a gun. Brian kidnapped her, claiming that she was ignoring his calls and that he had never wanted to get divorced. Luckily, Denise managed to calm him down and escape immediately heading to the police to report what had happened. When Brian was brought in for questioning, a shocking twist was revealed. According to his friend, Brian had been concerned that after the divorce, Denise would start talking about, quote, 
this guy who died 10 or 12 or 15 years ago. It was then revealed in court documents that before Mike died, he and Denise had taken out a $1 million life insurance policy through none other than Brian, whose occupation was as an insurance agent. Brian was soon sentenced to 20 years for kidnapping Denise, but the very next day it was announced that Mike's remains had been discovered by search dogs buried at the end of Gardner Road in northern Leon County, only five miles from where he had grown up. On May 8, 2018, Denise was arrested and charged with first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, and accessory after the fact. During an extensive trial, it was revealed that Brian and Denise had reportedly been having an affair through much of her marriage to Mike. Online reports detailed their secretive romance. They had apparently attended a Sister Hazel concert in 1997 and made their first step across the line by sharing a kiss while both of their loyal and oblivious spouses were out in the parking lot. In the following years, Brian explained in his testimony at his trial that the two would sneak away to have private meetings and getaways. Reportedly, the reason Brian eventually left his wife was to pursue a committed relationship with his new lover, Denise. During his trial, Brian discussed the allegation that he and Denise had conspired Mike's death so that the two of them could get married. As part of his testimony, Brian emotionally confessed to the following. On the day Mike died, Brian had gone with him to Lake Seminole, where he pushed him off of the boat. But when he didn't drown, Brian shot him with his own shotgun. Brian also claimed that it was allegedly at Denise's insistence that he later bury Mike's body. In February of 2019, Denise was sentenced to life in prison for the death of her husband, which was overruled in January 2020, as there was no physical evidence linking her to Mike's death. Her conspiracy to commit murder charge was upheld, however, and so she will be in prison for 30 years. Though Brian confessed to killing Mike in court, it has been reported that he did so in exchange for immunity in this case. This means that although he is serving his sentence for the kidnapping, it is reported that once those 20 years are completed, he will walk free. Despite this, it seems that Cheryl's mother's instinct was right all along, and she has finally seen some justice for her son. Today's last case is a chilling story filled with mystery and unanswered questions. Born on November 14, 1974, in Hawkinsville, Georgia, Tara Faye Grinstead grew up to be regarded as a beautiful and loving person by all who knew her. She was known for her huge, radiant smile and being a committed friend. At age 25, Tara competed in a pageant and won the title of Miss Tifton in 1999, as well as the chance to compete in the Miss Georgia beauty pageant. More than just a pretty face, Tara used her winnings from pageants to pay for her college degree, where she pursued her passion in education. 
After completing a master's degree studying education, Tara became a history teacher at Irwin County High School in Osceola in 1998. It was in this position that Tara flourished. She loved her students and was committed to helping them achieve their dreams. Her students were said to love her back as they could feel that she sincerely cared for them. But sometimes it seems that tragedies strike against those who deserve it the least. 30-year-old Tara spent the afternoon of October 22, 2005, helping the young girl she mentored get ready for an upcoming beauty pageant, as she often did. Later that afternoon, she attended a barbecue before heading home around 11 p.m. No one heard from Tara after this, but as she lived alone, no one thought too much of it. That is, until she didn't show up on Monday morning to teach her history class. Because of her dedication to her job, this was highly strange. It was well known that Tara would always show up for her students and that if she couldn't be in class, she would have at least contacted a substitute. Her concerned friends went in search of her. At her home, her car was found in the driveway and cell phone in the house but her purse and keys were nowhere to be found. There were no signs of what had happened to Tara beyond her alarm clock being thrown under the bed, and her bedside lamp was broken and knocked over. Investigators discovered a latex glove near Tara's front stoop and collected DNA evidence from the item. And though they could tell it had been a man who wore the glove, they couldn't match a name to the DNA sample. Hundreds of tips came in about Tara's whereabouts, but none ever led to finding her. It appeared that Tara had simply vanished. The small community was rocked by Tara's disappearance, and for years no one could explain what had happened to the caring teacher, and none could understand who would want to hurt her. In 2008, three whole years after Tara vanished, her case was featured on 48 Hours Mystery, where it was speculated that her disappearance was similar to another woman's, Jennifer Kessie, who went missing in Orlando, Florida. It was later ruled that the two weren't connected. In 2009, a video surfaced where a man proclaimed himself the Catch Me Killer, a serial killer who claimed to have killed 16 women, including Tara. It was revealed to be an elaborate hoax created by Andrew Haley, who lied about everything in the video in a bid for fame. Tara was officially declared dead in 2010. Even after years without a single lead, Tara's case was called the case that has never gone cold because tips continued to come in for over a decade. But the reality was the case had been cold since the day she vanished. It wasn't until 2017 that the first real lead was uncovered. A woman named Brooke Sheridan went to the police and told them that she thought her boyfriend had a dark secret. It took her months of pestering him to tell her what he was hiding from her before he finally confessed. Brooke's boyfriend, Bo Dukes, apparently admitted to her that his roommate, a man named Ryan Duke, no relation between them, had woken up one morning and told him something shocking. 
Bo alleged that Brian had told him that he had accidentally killed Tara Grinstead. In a shocking twist, the two boys had actually attended the high school where Tara taught, and Bo had even been Tara's student. Bo reportedly told his girlfriend that Ryan had allegedly been burglarizing Tara's home on the night that she vanished, and it is said that when she returned, she surprised him in the act. Bo reportedly claimed that Ryan told him he was startled and that he had then purportedly strangled her on her bed. Interestingly, other reports claim that Ryan simply broke in and found Tara already on her bed before he allegedly proceeded to attack her. Regardless, he reportedly told Bo he had used Bo's truck to move her body to a pecan orchard that Bo's family owned. Supposedly, Ryan had used Bo's truck and family's orchard in order to implicate him in his alleged crime. It is reported that after telling Bo what he'd done, Ryan asked for help. According to court documents, others overheard them claiming they had purportedly burned Tara's body in a fire pit in order to get rid of the evidence. It apparently took two days for her body to burn enough to be unrecognizable before they are believed to have buried her remains in the orchard. Online sources report that bone fragments were indeed later found when this area was searched. To this day, there is some speculation that Bo may have been part of the robbery at Tara's house, and that he possibly played a much bigger role in her death than being only an accessory after the fact. But for now, there is no evidence to support this theory. Ryan Duke was charged with Tara's murder, and Bo was charged with helping to cover up a murder and sentenced to 25 years in prison. Ryan Duke is currently awaiting his trial after it was initially delayed and has not yet been convicted. These three cold cases serve as reminders that sometimes the passage of time is all that is needed to reveal long-hidden secrets. And that sometimes, when cold cases are finally solved, they can have shocking twists. Hello, this is Louis Gang. Do you love my voice? Do you want my voice in your podcast or YouTube episodes? I can do the perfect voiceover for your brand or company too. It can be for either a podcast, YouTube channel or for your own personal use. Don't worry it's very cheap and affordable. Email me at info.louigang254 at gmail.com or visit fiverr.com slash louigang and make your first order, the link is on the description. I'm looking forward to working and connecting with you.